Just like many other citizens in Berkshire County, I want to learn more about the candidates who are seeking to be the next district attorney. It just so happens that I get to have my conversation recorded and then shared out to you. The last time I sat across from Tim Chagru and interviewed him was in a studio at WNAW in North Adams back in 2004 when he ran for DA back then. Like back then, our recent conversation is clear. We touched upon several issues, maybe not all the issues, but a lot of them. Not too much fuss or muss. This interview is about 49 minutes. Here it is, uninterrupted. And Tim Chagru is here. He's running for district attorney. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Nice to see you. It's been 18 years, I think. 18 years. It's been since, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> since I sat across from you. It's true. Um, and, uh, and, and it was something. I feel like it was absolutely not only one lifetime ago probably a few lifetimes it maybe for both of us <laughs> <laughs> it is it was it's been a great 18 years since then but it was uh it was a lot of fun that, that was a good campaign uh, i i did well with it and i thought it was a good campaign and uh, as it turned out it was good for david it was good for me and uh, very it was very professional and it was uh, it was no dirty politics it was just uh uh, we got a lot of messages across and i think a lot of things were accomplished in that i know he adopted a lot of things that i had addressed in that campaign so uh, it's nice to be back with you again <laughs> absolutely so um looking at what we're facing now and we'll certainly talk about the the campaign and uh, what you're running on um but uh, there is a situation in pittsfield uh, miguel estrella who was uh, shot and killed by pittsfield police um and it was a mental health uh, situation. I think uh, everyone agrees to that, although the investigation, of course, is still ongoing. Um, a few years back, uh, there was a gentleman, Daniel Gillis. Uh, and in that case, it's kind of eerie almost how similar it right. was uh, mental health situation, man with a knife um, and uh, shot dead. Um, at that point, there was an internal investigation. Um, the police chief ultimately um, indicated that there was no fault of the officer and the district attorney's office at the time said there was no criminal issue. Right. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Responsibility. responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so essentially that just basically was left there and right. that was, and that was that. So that the only reason I bring that issue up is because it's sort of hindsight and uh, right. very, it's just eerily similar situation. Um, obviously there is uh, a great public outcry um, in this particular situation. So I guess my question is what is the DA's role in this case, and knowing that you can't talk about the particulars too much, and you don't have uh, all the uh, insight from the investigation, but you know, tell me, uh, tell me your thought of, of what the the DA's uh, role is in this. Sure, I mean, obviously, as you just touched on, is that I'm, I'm not uh, privy to the investigation, um, the crime prevention and. and uh, Prevention Bureau is uh, doing it at the CPAC unit for uh, Massachusetts State Police, and they do a thorough investigation. I think it was important that they did it and not it wasn't done internally by the Pittsfield Police Department. I think it's uh, good that it's doing that. Um, we need to see what the results of that investigation are. But mental health is a real problem, and uh, we don't have a lot of services in Berkshire County. As being in private practice, you know, I've been a lawyer for 36 years, being in a private practice for 28 years. I was a prosecutor before that. Um, I've really seen that, that there is, it's really difficult to get services uh, and they're good, hardworking mental health workers in Berkshire County. There's just not enough of them. And we have a real mental health problem. And it's at a crisis level, I would consider. Um, and we really have to address that. And the district attorney does have a role with that. How do we uh, assist the police with mental health issues? How do we assist the police with getting social workers to help out? 
and talk people through these situations. Because if we could have just gotten through the situation, perhaps it could have been avoided. We don't know that. But I think it's important to be able to have uh, the resources available for the police. I think it would be important to have body cams. So um, I'm a big believer in body cams anyway. I think that you're seeing them being implemented throughout the county in various various various, uh, cities and towns. I would hope that Pittsfield will be able to get them. I know it's cost, but I think it's a necessary cost because then we'll all see what is happening. This is an awful tragedy. It's just when a young man loses his life, it's just an awful tragedy. So we have to see and get to the bottom of it. But let's hope that we can make something positive out of this and try to change some things and get mental health to the forefront with the criminal justice system and with law enforcement. So I think that's important. And, I, and I, that's one of the big things that's on my agenda. You know, we've, we deal with addiction. I think there's, there's answers to addiction. I've dealt with that with having represented people with addiction issues in 28 years. And I've been able to get people through the addiction and be able to get people to not reoffend and to be productive members in the community, to get off drugs and to have, be working in the community. We've been very successful at that. I want to do that in the district office. But I do think this is a big, big need for mental health. And I'm hoping that I can do that. I pride myself on getting things done. And I've been a lawyer a long time. I've been I'm 62 years of age now. I've done a lot of things in this community, including starting the kids place. When people say you can't get things done in Pittsfield, that's not true. I, I can get things done. I, when I do things, I complete them. So mm. I'm hoping I can address that issue. And I hope that we can get to the bottom of this terrible tragedy for everybody that's involved. Yeah. And uh, I just hope that we can keep the peace in the community and we can make sure that everybody, you know, we can learn from this. We can make this better. Um, and we can't take his life back. It's just very unfortunate. But what we can do is try to address this never, ever happens again. So let's hope we can do that. And certainly uh, my heart, I'm sure yours goes out to the family uh, as well. And what they have said is that I think, again, you can't change the past, but you can change what we're doing now moving forward. And, you know, there have been some calls uh, for people, uh, you know, asking for the names of the police officers to be released. that and and again, I mean, they have every right to ask for that. My concern is that in this case, and, and I think in the last case, Daniel Gillis, case in point, it was found that there was no fault. So what that tells me is that the protocol is as such that if the police officers are following that protocol and something awful happens, then really yes, the officers have to be held accountable to some extent, but what is the atmosphere and what is the framework? What is the protocol that allows this to happen and for it ultimately to be, I mean, I'm saying quote, unquote, okay, based on what the protocols are. So that comes to what the leadership and what the training is and and that sort of thing. So I think it's it's important to point that out, that it's not just about an officer doing something wrong because based on their training, it may have been done as they were trained. Right. That's what we need to know. And again, I'm not privy to the investigation. I, you know, we all want to know, uh, did they follow proper protocol that's in place? And is that protocol correct? If it's not correct, we're going to change it. And if we, we need more people to be on staff for mental health, we're going to change that. That This has to be addressed. So I, I agree with the family that we've got to put this in the forefront to address it so it never happens again. But I also don't think we should have hysteria right now. We need to find out what are the facts. Let's see them. And then hopefully we'll have transparency and we'll see what the facts are. So then we can make decisions about what happens happened. And let's make sure this doesn't happen again. And if it wasn't the individuals that were responsible, we need to look at our system as a whole. 
not just the officers, not just the police department, but mental health issues across the board. Our system is broken and we see that. And we've got to make sure that we get more help for mental health issues. I find it to be a, a serious issue in Berkshire County. And I think that we really need to see if we can get services for people that need it. And again, I don't want to take away from the hardworking individuals that are in the field right now because they do a great job, but they just cannot cover the need that we have. It's just tremendous. So let's wait. Let's, let's see the investigation. Let's see what's, what uh, the results of that is. And then we'll uh, make a comments and see what needs to be done. But I think it's it's important for people to talk about this. Again, it's, a, it's an awful tragedy. And I hope that all people, all the parties that are involved are able to get some solace and peace when we find out what happened. So 62 years old, here yes. you are. Yeah, here I am. <laughs> Deciding that uh, this is uh, the next uh, move for you. Um, you know, why this time, um, you know, here in 2022, uh, what was the impetus, uh, to decide that it was time to, to give this, uh, give this a go? Well, I think I've, I'm really at the pinnacle of my career, my career. I think as I use the word apex, we're at the top of the mountain. I've done everything I want to do. I really enjoy my practice. I enjoy practicing law. Uh, but you know, there's always been, I've always done a lot of community work. And, you know, I talked with my wife and she's got a master of public administration. So she's run campaigns before and whatnot. And we, we had discussion about it. I was receiving so many phone calls. The support I was receiving was tremendous to get into the race, to get into the race. And uh, I was reluctant at first because I was happy where I am. I have a nice business. I'm leaving a very successful business, but I, I really believe in Berkshire County. I believe in Pittsfield. I moved here in 1973. I, I've loved this city. I've loved this county. I like getting things done. I think I can really fill a, a, a need and a void, and I think I can get uh, things accomplished. And uh, once I um, made that determination and thought about it, I said, this is a good move for me. It's a good move for Berkshire County. It's something I wanted. It's, so it had been a dream to be the district attorney and, and to be able to take what I've learned with, I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of jury trials and, and all cases from murder to rapes to sexual assaults, all sorts of things. And at the same time, having the compassion for individuals. There are criminals who are hardened criminals that we know about, and there are people that get caught up in a bad situation. That's when you need compassion. And so we see good families and good people that sometimes get themselves in, in some situations that lead to criminal charges. We got to treat them appropriately because they're different. They're different balls of wax. They're completely different. So I think I have that background by doing that much defense work, that much trial work. I mean, really, I'm offering Berkshire County. Uh, a trial lawyer that has tried all sorts of cases. I don't think there's anybody in Western Mass that's tried more criminal uh, trials than I have, both in prosecution and defense. So I think uh, that between that combination, it's a nice combination to have. I always uh, I talk about in my platform, I'm talking about the scales of justice. Justice is supposed to be blind. And we don't look at you know someone's sexuality. We don't look at their um, whether their gender. We don't look at their economic sphere. The, the lady uh, justice, just just here is um, you're supposed to be blind and balance. You balance with, you know, with criminal prosecution for hardened criminals and you, you balance compassion for people that need it. And the DA's office can set policy. I think they need to get back in the schools. I'm a big believer in prevention. I'm a big believer in law enforcement coming back to the district attorney's office. I think there's been a, a, a sort of a, um, some sort of um, miscommunication or misconnection between that office and, and local police and state police and the sheriff's office. I think they need to come back there and need to know, start with prosecution. We have to start with that first. That's number one. That's your job is to make sure you get your prosecutions going. And then you work on the other problems and the other issues that are community-based that are associated with the criminal justice system and associated with law enforcement. And I'm a big believer in bringing our men and women blue back, back, back to the DA's office. Mm. I think it's important. And it's interesting because um, when you are, and again, four years ago, Andrea Harrington ran as a reform candidate 
And so the theory is on that, well, you're not necessarily going to make police departments happy uh, all the time uh, in that process. So, so there's kind of this, this, you know, uh, uh, this push and pull there, you know, but then at the same time, you have to work with police departments. Um, And again, you know, there, there's perception and there's reality. Um, you know, I think the perception there is that maybe the, the DA's office isn't working well with police departments, and that may very well be true. But I guess for the voter, the question is, you know, what is that happy medium? You know, like if there's accountability on one side, you know, even in this case in, in Pittsfield, mm-hmm. it, it may be that the DA has to uh, hold the police accountable to some extent uh, or be a separate entity looking at it from a different perspective. So tell me about that balance between really working well with the police departments and the sheriff's department and then understanding that they are separate and have their own particular roles yeah well i think if you're at the same table if they're all working together and there are issues that need to be addressed with law enforcement and you can address that because you're all talking to each other because you're in communication with each other and that there's mutual respect for each other i think that's very important because if we have to make policies or things that aren't being done that we think is correct we need to talk to to you know the organizations and the agencies that are doing that and also give them the assistance and the support that they need to get the job done the way that we want it done which is with compassion at the same time but also protecting our community protecting our society it's about safety safety is issue number one safety for us safety for the police and 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 i think if everybody comes together with that that's better than having the police not working with the district attorney's office that's a bad combination and they need to pull that back in and they need to be at the table together don't have to agree with everything all, all the time there's going to be different philosophies but the district attorney is supposed to be the top law enforcement authority in the, in the county and and to not be connected with your local police and your state police and the sheriff's office to me is a problem i think they have to get together and to be able to address the issues and you can't address the issues if you're not communicating about what the problems are because we can fix the problems this is a problem let's talk it out let's figure it out because we're all in this together we all live in berkshire county we all want to be safe and we want to be compassionate so this it is a balance and that's what justice is about balancing and i think that can be done i i think i have and listen i've been a defense lawyer for 28 years and i have a great relationship with the police i cross-examine them i i put them through some difficult times <laughs> and I do that but at the end of the day we shake we shake hands yeah as as we all do you know both men and women we shake our hands at the end and say you're doing a job i'm doing a job and we both learn from that experience and i think that's important when we work with the police because i have a lot of support from the police even though i've cross-examined a lot of these it's people. interesting because i've seen you in there i've yeah. seen you in cases um i've seen you uh, defend a police officer uh, yeah. in a case where uh, the uh, or the city is is looking to prosecute the the officer right. for work. So you know you've been there, you've been in that arena, and again to sort of have this combination, being a prosecutor in the beginning, right. and then having this, and really getting in. I mean, you've been in some. I mean, there's been a lot of cases. Not big cases. Um, you know, uh, you know your way around uh, for sure. So it is an interesting dynamic, and uh, and so how has that been uh, with the police? Uh, I, I guess representatives, unions, uh, police departments. You know how how has the uh, how has that been for you um, as you're trying to garner support? Yeah, as you know, and you've probably seen me in action. I'm, I'm a pit bull I'm in the courtroom, so I'm all over the police. They'll tell you that. But we do it and we come out, we smile and we shake hands. They know they have a job to do. And, you know, every single police officer that we cross-examined come back and said to me afterwards, you know something, I learned something in that trial. 
and I won't make that mistake next time. I learned something. I learned something about you know breathalyzers that you can't that you can't put something in someone's mouth beforehand. The law is there, but they're not being told or trained enough. And that's a big part of what I want to do is training. Mm. So I've I've had these relationships with, with police officers over all this time, and we've I've been difficult on them, and I've cross examined them, and I've been hard on them. At the end of the day, we shake hands and we walk. I love the polite language that you use. (laughs) (laughs) I know people have called me a lot uh, worse things than that. Uh, You can imagine. But I think I I, I really do. If you uh, were able to attend the event, I know you couldn't with the family issues, but um, you you would see that how much law enforcement was there that are supporting supporting me and my run in the bid for the district attorney's office because they know I'm fair. They know I'm compassionate and they know at the same time that I'm tough and in the courtroom. And that I could try cases. I mean, that's really important. You got to be able to try cases. Was when your assistant DAs come up to you and ask you, "How do you do this?" My daughter's a prosecutor in Salem. She's five years out. I talk to her every night. She's at. She's in Superior Court now. She's doing sexual assault cases, and she calls me up and says, "Dad, this is what I got." And we talk because I like training. I like teaching. And so, you know, it's been in my family. It's been in my blood. Uh, my daughter. So going back to why I want to be district attorney, it's been in my blood my whole life. I spent the first eight and a half years doing rape cases. I was 26 years old. I t- tried my first rape trial in Springfield Superior Court. So uh, I didn't go to district court. I went right to Superior Court and I did rape trials and sexual assault trials. I saw so many horrors in Springfield that you could not even imagine. Eight and a half years was enough for me at that time. So I needed to get out of that and do a break. And then I started uh, doing defense work. And I, and I, I loved it because I like people. I know so many people in this county, but helping so many people out the last 28 years. But I see at this stage in my life now that I, I'm, I've reached the top and I want to share it with the community and I want to come in. I want to build something. I want to build the best lofts in, in Western Mass. I want to build a good district attorney's office. I want to build a good relationship with the local police and with the state police and with the sheriff's office. I want to build it with the community. I want to build it with the programs. Like I said, doing the kids' place taught me a lot. And that's 27 years old now. And WTBR is still on the air. It's 45 years old. I was on, I was there when we went on FM, October 1st, 1977. I hate to tell people that. But <laughs> we're chatting <laughs> about that. It's yeah. funny because uh, I ran into Bob Cooper not uh, oh, a, Bob few, Cooper. a few years back. And uh, then we brought him on the, the Facebook show. But I, I think those things that people do that sometimes are the, you know, the volunteer things right those are the elements that really build community um yes no when you're volunteering for wtbr you know you're not getting rich uh or anything like that but those are the little things that just add flavor and then in your case for the kids place it's a very innovative organization and um i think our history in berkshire county has shown that you know, uh, you know, child abuse and and how that is dealt with from a law enforcement thing. It's a long and checkered past That's right. um, as far as that goes. So I think the creation of the Kids Place really maybe marked a, a time when we really started to get it right. Absolutely. Uh, to some extent, if, you know, and of course you should agree. I'm sure you'd agree with that. But I think, you know, legitimately um, it, it has uh, been a model. It's been a model. Uh, now, so, so everybody understands. First, of all, I want to go back to Bob Cooper because you know, yeah. there's people like him <laughs> that, that really were so wonderful that taught us. We, we had a radio station. I'm in high school. I wasn't an orator. I became an orator because of Bob Cooper. I became, I, I learned how to run a nonprofit because of Bob Cooper. I learned how to raise funds to put that tower on top of that roof. And we were proud of that. And he taught me so much. And that was in high school. And so here it was. I took those same principles that he taught me. And when I was just starting the kids place with Detective Joe Collis, he had an organization called Citizens Against Child Abuse. So 
he was a detective, a detective at Pittsfield Police Department. I came on board. We tried a bunch of cases because they were backed up bad for child abuse cases in Berkshire County when I came here in 1991. And I love Jerry Downey. He brought me up from Springfield. And so he was, a, he was a great DA to have. And he allowed me to do the things I want to do. And he allowed me to do the kids place. So we prosecuted a bunch of big cases to show that we were serious. We got the one of the first cases ever nationally for a horrible, horrible human being that abused children and dogs and animals really badly. He got a 72 to 108 years. And that was sent shockwaves throughout the country. It was the largest sentence at the time. But we took those tragedies and what was happening. And we decided, I said, listen, Joe, I, I've been to Huntsville, Alabama. I've seen the National Center, the Children's Advocacy Center. There were none in New England. There were 225 in the United States at that time. I didn't invent this. I implemented what they had done. And I joined their organization. And I used the skills that they had. And the skills I learned from being in high school at the Conic with W.T. Bear with Bob Cooper. I used those skills. And we were able to... We started in 1993. By 1995, we were incorporated. We were raising money. We hired a couple of grant writers. Those grant writers ballooned us into something bigger. And then when the when the uh, the building, the old Red Cross building on Wendell Avenue came available, we took a risk. Uh, it was probably a risk that I, I don't know if I'd do it <laughs> today. But we decided to, uh, we got someone that was an anonymous donor that would back us for $140,000 as long as we guaranteed the loan to be paid off in five years. So I had to sign a guarantee um, myself. And uh, actually, it was Paul Paracci who became a judge in juvenile court. Him and I both signed um, the guarantee. So if it doesn't get furbished, refurbished, and whatnot, and it could only be sold as a nonprofit because we were keeping it that way. So we took a risk. And we were able to, luckily at the time, the GE Elfins did such a wonderful job for us. And people remember, uh, if you Google it on, on, on the Eagle, you'll see these, the, the stories of Chagruz Crew. We all had hats out there. And we came in and with the help of so many people in the county. I mean, so many, from Stevens Carpets to Tierney's Construction. We refurbished that building really mostly in one day and a little bit more in the next couple of days after that. We got that thing done. And it's been open. We hired Jennifer Tierney Stokes as the executive director, who was another excellent person that dealt with child abuse. And the whole idea of the kids place was to, to reduce the trauma to children because I had done it now for eight and a half years. And it was really difficult to have kids go to one interview. They go to see at that time yeah. it was DSS. Now it's DCF. They would go and they would have to be interviewed by them, interviewed by the police. And the police officers were not forensically trained to right. do the interviews. Right. Yeah. Now we have forensic interviews that are trained, which gets rid of false accusations right. as much as it gets. Which is so easy, so easy with to, kids. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, and I, again, our history has shown that that doesn't always work for right. justice. Right. Um, you know, I'll say that lightly. Uh, so having that, so that makes a huge difference to reduce that amount of, and to be honest with you, trauma, because I mean, even the idea of having to go to a person in power and, and tell your story uh, can be can be certainly the whole thing is traumatic for a child. Very traumatic. And when I used to teach and I, and I taught for the National College of Discotrains Association for many years, and I taught in every different state, I would pull a chair, maybe three, 400 people in the crowd. I pull a chair up there. I said, imagine me asking you about a sexual experience. Now imagine that, that it's a, it's a colleague or it's a, a caregiver. Mm. And you have to say that to all these people, to 12 jurors, to a child. That's a lot. So we were trying to ease that. They still have to testify, but we eased the process. And what I was really seeing was lack of services and mental health. That's changed. They have services at the kids' place. They get counseling. They get treated. Now, um, and, and same thing with getting medical treatment. We made sure they get medical treatment. So they were seen. One time I prosecuted an individual that had raped an infant. If we didn't 
respond the way we did, that injury was healed within 48 hours. Because of the multi-team approach, all of us working together, we were able to prosecute that individual and put him in prison for 27 to 35 years. Those are the people we're talking about that are hardened criminals, mm. that, that we need to keep our children safe. I've always said they're 40% of our population, our children, but they're 100% of our future. It's been my tagline since I started doing this many, many years ago. And I devised it in a way that, and many people were, were now involved in it. Joe and I started, and we brought many, many people on. Fran Marinale came on, uh, Lancel Point. Uh, we had people from, uh, at that time, was the Breen Center, uh, which was Berkshire Mental Health. Um, we brought those people in, and we it, it grew and grew, and we organized, and, and we got the thing off the ground. Uh, and I made it so that after 10 years, you'd have to get off so that we get fresh blood coming in there. Because I learned it can't be individual specific. If it's individual specific, that we person could, goes. We, we could do that in some other areas as well. Right. Maybe a good policy. <laughs> I think it's a great policy because yeah. it gets new blood in and yeah. it doesn't, the program doesn't end if the person leaves. Mm -hmm. And that was important. So here it's been 27 years and I stayed involved with it for many years after with the golf tournaments and stuff that we, because the local law enforcement agencies raised 20 grand a year for us. Um, and that was all law enforcement in Berkshire County. I think that's why I still have such a good relationship with them as well is because they came together for my charity every year. I shouldn't say my charity, our charity for the county. I made that so county county based because people didn't realize we have we had an uh, I don't know if they still use it. We had the Haston School and we had another facility down in Great Barrington. So we had that multi team approach everywhere, and that was done. That was not an easy task to do, but I accomplished it, and it was accomplished after I left the DA's office because I st still saw the need. And then people ask me then, why are you doing it? You're not you're not a prosecutor anymore. It's because I live here. And I care about children and I care about our community. And that's why I did it. And I stuck through with it. And and, and, it, and it again, it's been a gem for Berkshire County. And, I, and when I started this, I heard the same thing. No mall, no bypass. You know, if you grew up here, you know, all those things that didn't happen. And so, but I told people I would get it done. And we did. Yeah. And in those areas, you know, your area of expertise, you know, doing the best that you can uh, based on uh, what your expertise is in. Um, Four years ago, cash bail was a big uh, conversation. Um, now, on the other side of things, it's kind of gone to these dangerousness hearings. And so now the progressives have been, you know, to, to use the term, you know, the, the more liberal side of the Democratic uh, folks in the Berkshires have been critical now of the overuse of the dangerousness hearings. Um, what is your take on that? If there's a balance, or um, what would the what would the policy be from your perspective uh, on this cash bail versus dangerousness hearing? Uh, I, I can tell you, I have a lot of thoughts on it because I, you know, again, doing defense work while while this approach was taken, I think uh, unfortunately limiting cash bail really, and then using a dangerousness hearing in its stead, someone could be held for 120 days without right to bail. They have no way to get out. And I'd be like, that's not fair. If you know, you're saying they're dangerous. Um, if they are dangerous and they need to be held, that's one thing. But to use it instead of bail, I think that's just this. Uh, I, I really have a real problem with that. I mean, why not give someone cash bail that you know they can make? Because people, we, I go up to when I did it, I go up to the office. He's got two grand. Can he post that bail? That means you know he's not going to go anywhere. He or she, I should say, but not go anywhere. And so they post the two grand, and there's everybody's got accountability to it, and the person was not held. But just to hold them without right to bail and use that instead of saying cash bail, uh, cash bail can be used appropriately, but there should never be a policy on that anyway. 
It's like anybody. We're subjective. Every per human is different. Everybody's got different DNA. You must look at the cases differently. And that comes back to the training. Train your prosecutors so they know what cases should be cash bail, what cases should not be cash bail. And be reasonable. If someone comes in, like, we got five grand that he can post for bail. I know this is bad. And he's, he or she has a history of, of taking off and leaving because that's what bail's for. Be assurance that you're going to show up to court and to make sure that you're not going to commit another crime. Usually, if they're going to, you think they're going to commit another crime, then you go for the dangerous hearing. But if it's only to assure their appearance is in there, then you'll work with them. What incentive can we do to make sure that they're going to come back? And there are so many which ways to do that. And there are ways that you can do GPS devices. You can do, uh, uh, you can put the uh, the units on for for the intoxilizers. There's things that you can do that an alternative to bail, but are still bail conditions, so that you're, you're making the community safe and making people accountable while they're out. And the case is pending. So I think what happened was the pendulum switched too far. Mm -hmm. And what happened was we used, we getting people held for 120 days. Uh, I had someone held in, an, uh, it wasn't my case at first, but they hired me afterwards. And she was held for 120 days for an OUI that, that I later beat. Mm -hmm. So she was not, she wasn't guilty. And so she was right. in jail so, for so 120 if you take, days. If you take bail completely out of the equation, then the dangerousness becomes the only tool. Right. And then it becomes used. Uh, the volume is it's just huge compared to tiny percentage of cases, perhaps where dangerousness was being used. That's before. true. So uh, it, it's it's an interesting uh, dynamic that you know in trying to be more fair, uh, in a lot of ways, you're actually holding more people. Uh, who really shouldn't be uh, held because uh, there there's no bail, or at least that that's that's how it seems. It, it is it, it is that way. Like I said, when you're holding someone for an OUI and a, a young person, it, it's maybe granted maybe a second OUI. The, the first one was was probably a year or so before that. Again, I didn't represent her at the time. I represented after, and and the case was ultimately dismissed. But the fact of the matter, she was in jail for 120 days, and I don't think that that should have happened. This is not a person that should have been incarcerated. And it was used for dangerousness rather than a cash bail or rather than uh, let's give her a scram unit, which is you, you take everywhere and you blow into it. It's a, an intoxilizing machine that they can tell if they're drinking or not. Those are being used all the time. Utilize your probation office uh, and make sure you have a relationship just like you do with law enforcement. You should make sure you have a relationship with the probation department as well, because they're a law enforcement agency as well. And that needs to come back to the DA's office. So they're checking in with probation to see, is this what should happen? And they'll tell you whether someone, they're the greatest resource. You know, if you've had them on probation for? Are they going to show up? Are they going to take off? Are they going to commit a new offense? What's their what's their addiction issue? Um, you know what's what's the problems that are going on? Use those resources because they're doing intake with everybody that's there. So there's a lot of things to be done, but you have to be in court to see that. You have to be a trial lawyer to see that, and you can't have that that really separation of not being in the courtroom to understand that. And even if I'm not trying cases, I'm going to be in that courtroom a lot. They want to make sure those relationships are good. I want to make sure the relationships are good with the judges, with the with the probation department, and uh, with the clerk's office, with everybody, because that's an important component. And I think that the office has a responsibility and a duty to the community to be reach out to everybody and 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 give the services that are available to us. And that's when I come back to good litigators. Let your ADAs be able to make these decisions on their own without having to keep coming back and finding out, do we have to go get someone's permission? Hire good people or train them because there are a lot of good people that are there that just haven't had the training yet. Mm -hmm. uh, young lawyers are coming out. We don't, we're not taught how to try the trials in law school. 
You learn on the, on, on the field. Hmm. And I think they should use the National College of District Training Association a little bit better. Like I said, I used to teach for them. I used to teach openings. I used to teach closings. So, and they put me there to do that. And I would travel around the country and went to all sorts of states, Oklahoma, Nebraska, you name it. I've, I've been out there and teaching state associations about how, how to try create cases. So I think it's important. Yeah. And uh, so looking back, um, I think one of the issues, at least right now, that will be talked about is the quote unquote politics, the 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 concept right. of politics. And of course, going four years ago, um, it was a hell of a race. Um, but it was also a race where it was a district attorney who stepped aside early. Right. And and uh, then Mr. Cahiavello stepped in and so forth. There's a lot of controversy there. So there could be an argument that was made that the politics was on all sides four years ago. Sure. But with that said, you know, the outcome uh, led to an office that has been very much criticized uh, and individuals who did leave that office being critical, right. um, even calling it uh, a political uh, culture. So um, I know this is a, a slam dunk for you to answer the question. <laughs> you're like, yep, bring it on. Um, but uh, but that's but that's been there. Um, so about the nature of an office uh, of the district attorney's office and that atmosphere and that culture. Tell me about uh, what that would look like uh, under a district attorney. Shukru. I, I really don't think politics should be involved in, in, in the DA's race. I, mean, I don't think it should be involved in the, in the office. I think it's just, it just should not be a political office. This is about prosecuting crimes, setting up programs that for prevention, helping the police prevent crimes. I think it's important to get, again, get, get these programs back in the schools that have been removed from the schools. I think those are really good. I know the sad, mad, those agencies have done such a great job in stopping young people from drinking and driving. I think we should get them back into that. I don't think politics should be involved. I think it should be, uh, it should be we should work real hard as a community together to make our community safer, to make our community, um, you know, uh, not just uh, safe, but also accountable for the criminals so that we're, prosecuting the right people we do, but at the same time, having compassion, compassion for other people, use the programs that we have. This is, um, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in Berkshire County. I'm staying here the rest of my life. It's not a political position for me. I'm offering the services of someone that's a good trial lawyer that's done this for 36 years and says, this would be a great situation for all of us where I can help. And if I have to try the cases, I could try the cases. If I have to answer questions about trying cases, I can do those. So there's lots of things that I can do. It doesn't have to be political. And I think that's where it needs to be taken out. Um, I don't believe that you should be running for the next re-election while you're trying to prosecute cases. I'm hoping to focus on the issues that are here, which are the issues that we need to deal with in the community, which we've already somewhat touched on. Um, I don't think it should be political. And I would hope um, that in my administration, there wouldn't be that type of policy because I don't want to see that. Again, I'm, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere else. I have no agenda to go to Boston or to Washington, D.C. or anything else like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a Berkshire County resident. I'm a Pittsfield resident. And I want to uh, be able to uh, bring my experience and my litigation experience to the public and make this, like I said earlier, a great loss. Are there any areas that uh, over the last few years that you would maintain? In other words, I think there's been some work done on diversion programs uh, and that sort of thing. 
um, any areas that uh, you would uh, continue that uh, that have shown promise? Yeah, anything that's shown promise that's successful, of course, we're going to keep it. I mean, I'm a believer, again, in the programs that I have done are not ones that I invented. And I'm sure that these have come from other programs as well. If they're successful and they're working, I, I want to continue to do them. I mean, I, I certainly do believe, I do think that we don't use the diversion program in the in the district court enough what we should be using, which is that chapter 276, section 87, which is a, it doesn't, people don't get a conviction. People don't realize that. This is a pretrial diversion program that you still can be held responsible and put on probation. So you got to stay drug free, drug clean, get a job and certain other things that have to happen. And you have that in a diversion program. At the end, if you do the things you're supposed to do, there's no conviction. Case is cleared and you end up having dismissal and they have no criminal record. I think that needs, we need more of that so that we deal with people that have it. But at the same time, the criminals that are doing, they're the breaking law and doing things, gun violence is atrocious. Mm-hmm. We need to address those issues and we need to prosecute those people to the full extent of the law. And we need the best lawyers in that, in that office to, to handle that and not just be up against good defense lawyers and having inexperienced prosecutors. That's, that's a, that's a big problem right now. Yeah. There, I mean, there has been, and again, uh, there's perception and then there's reality and maybe they're not exactly the same thing, but there's been a, a, a perception for a long time that, you know, uh, someone is arrested, you know, maybe it's gun violence, maybe it's, it's something violent. Uh, and then the word is, oh, but then these judges, they let them off, you know, that sort of, and you've heard this a I've zillion, heard it all the time. A zillion right, times, right. right? So, um, so it's there. And again, you know, this is, this is where you have the conversation to understand what, what the situation actually may be, but certainly the perception is there and has been right. there for a long time. So just tell me your, your thoughts on that, you know, with this idea of, oh, these lenient judges is they, they just, they just let them go. Well, some of the problems is like doing the dangerousness hearing and then saying someone's dangerous and then saying, okay, we can put them on conditions. And then the judge gets blamed later on. That was the, that was the district attorney's office that made that decision to, to, to do that. Um, so I don't think it's fair to put it on the judges. Superior court's a little bit easier because sentences, we, we have guidelines. So we follow the judges, follow the guidelines. We, we sort of follow the guidelines. So there are sentencing guidelines. So it's uniform across the state. So we're not, um, not everybody's being treated differently. So there are guidelines and everything is subjective as well. So I, I think the responsibility still starts with the DA's office and, and to show the, uh, the, the judges what the cases are all about. Because if a judge sees how atrocious some of these cases are and it's highlighted and it's presented correctly to he or she, then I think you'll see the sentences come on down. But it, it takes all parties working together. And I just don't see that cohesiveness going on right now. If we can get that back, I think people will be happy with the decisions the judges are making. Because you know what people don't realize, they go to trainings all the time. They are up on the law and they're, they're good with it. I think that the DA's office should be doing similar trainings for, and I know they do some, but I, I, I see that there's still a lot of young people coming in there that they're not trained yet. And there's a lot of good lawyers yet that just need just a little bit of training. That's all. And I think that can happen. And I think the more you present your case um, in a definitive light, and the more you present it, just as I did as a defense lawyer, the more you present a case, then you convince a judge, this is what should happen. That's your job. If a judge doesn't give a, a good sentence or releases somebody else, you haven't done your job because you should be doing your job and, and, and explain to him or her why this person should be held or why this person shouldn't be let go. But if you don't do that, again, it comes down to training. Then a judge, of course, he's gonna, he or she's going to do that because they don't have the necessary information. But if they really find out someone, it's all about being prepared. You know, everything, when a good trial lawyer, we're not 
any smarter than anybody else. We're not any different. We're just prepared. <laughs> you know, we spend a lot of time at it. It's all about preparation. Yeah. Nothing in life, if you want to do a good job, nothing comes easy. You've got to work for it. You got to be, you got to really do your homework, do your research, you know, and go, and go out. And uh, if you don't know the answer, find the answer. So I want people to ever do that. I mean, that's what I enjoy with my daughter. Every day she calls me back. There's questions no matter what. And then she's a well-trained, good litigator, but she still asks me questions all the time. And sometimes I have to say, you know what? I got to look that up. It's a good question. You know, I have, I have Westlaw. They have Westlaw. You know, Lexus, Nexus, whatever you have, whatever legal system you have, use it. And then I, I faithfully read the lawyers weekly every Monday morning. And I circle the cases that are important. And I don't forget them. And I have them. And I get people calling me up all the time. Tim, what was that case that you were, I saw you talk about in court? Yeah, I read those cases and you put it out there. Preparation. It's not rocket science, but it's a lot of work and it's preparation. And, you know, I like it. I'm in love with the law. You know, I enjoy it. And so um, this is fun for me right now because this is where I want to be. I want to talk about the issues that I think are important. And I think I can do that. You know, you know win, lose, or draw. I want to bring the issues out there. Uh, I'm a good lawyer and I want to talk about it. And a lot of it's about preparation mm-hmm. uh, and everybody will tell you, I come into that courtroom, I'm prepared every single time. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's all about. And I think it's fair to say that uh, your criticism of the incumbent is measured. Yes. Um, I don't take know, personal. I don't, I'm not going to my personal. There's, uh, you know, another candidate who's running, who's uh, going to be in the general election, who's less measured <laughs> yeah. as far as that goes, um, you know, looking at that. But how do you see the sort of tenor of this race, of this campaign? Um, it seems to me already um, it's much more cordial uh, than it was uh, four years ago. And I think many of us, I mean, I was involved in it four years ago. Many of us can sort of take responsibility for some of that, uh, for sure. Um, it was very emotional. It was a, it was a hot, hot race. Um, I can see this race uh, as, I think, more measured. I think so. I think that we lost a little bit of civility along the way. And that have been, may have been where the country was at the time. But we did lose a lot of civility. I think civility is very, very important. Uh, I haven't attacked uh, the incumbent in there. I've talked, I've talked about the difference between my experience and, and her experience. I'm not doing anything personal. I want to talk about you know why I think that I can offer a lot to Berkshire County. I'm not here to bash anybody individually. That's not my role. I believe in civility. You know, I believe in the respect of a courtroom and I believe in the respect of judges. And uh, like I said, when I talk about the police officers, we shake hands at the end of it because I gave them respect, even though I may be tough and I cross-examine getting some tough questions they can't answer. I may yell at them on occasion, but when we're done, we get out and we shake hands. That's civility. And I want this campaign to be civil. It may not be if people decide they want to go that way. I'm prepared that they want to do that. I don't want to do that. I think that it's a disservice to the county to be doing that, to be talking about things personally. I think what's important is we talk about the issues and what our, our, our positions are different. We have different positions, there's no question. Uh, I, I think I come with a little bit different and maybe because I'm more mature in my age, being where I am. But I think even when we ran in 2004, we ran a civil campaign and mm-hmm. brought issues out that I'm still proud of to this day. And, and I think David is too. I, we, again, we could shake hands and you know, when, I haven't seen him in probably 10 years, but uh, I could say that we, uh, we never, um, we tried cases against each other. We tried cases with each other. And at the end of the day, it was civil. And even when, when I went became a defense lawyer, everybody's like, how are you going to do that? You were a prosecutor. And I haven't the same way. Well, I did that. I, I turned around and I was here. It was one time I'm trying to murder with David. Next, you know, two months later, I'm trying a case against him. 
And at the end of the day, we did our cases, shook hands, and went out. We tried an awful sawed-off shotgun case uh, on Wakona Street, and and you know I ended up winning it. And David was just as uh, cordial to me. It wasn't it wasn't an issue, but it was about the facts, it was about the law, and and we did that. That's what this should be all about. It should be about civility again, and and our county needs that. There's too much hatred in this world. During this last two years of COVID, people were locked up and we saw just, and I, we never closed. We worked all the way through it because p- there was a need. People were just, they, they were in a lot yeah. of pain. People mm-hmm. were in a lot, and they're still in a lot of pain. And I want to see if we can alleviate that pain. And, and as, as leaders, we should be showing that by example. Mm-hmm. We should be showing not, not to be uh, non-civil, to be civil to each other. And to be respectful to each other and to talk about the issues of what they are. And at the end of the day, if the uh, if the voters uh, decide they want me, I'm, I'm here for you. If they decide they want somebody else. I respect that. But but in the, in the interim period of time, we have to show respect to one another, to respect to our humans, uh, to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. I think all everything starts at home. You start at home and, you know, love yourself, love your family and bring it out. Love your community. I love my community. I really do. I love Berkshire County. I love Pittsfield. I love everything about the Berkshires. We've got the Colonial Theater. We've got Mount Greylock and we've got, you know, Clark Art and we've got Mass Mocha. Down south, we've got the beautiful thing, the Mahawi. And and, and don't, there's so many, uh, you know, great facilities, Jacob's Pillow, all this stuff that we have available to us. Let's focus on those things and about the good community. Let's make it safe for everybody so we can all feel good. I mean, I don't know if you were here, but I grew up in the 70s. North Street was a huge thing. It was where everybody went and we all loved each other and shook hands. It was just different. And you don't see that now. Everybody's kind of afraid. And, you know, maybe it's because of the mask and because of COVID. I don't know. But I, I, I want to change that. I'm hoping that we can come back and we can all, you know, respect. And, you know, and, and I say that even when we do you know, cases in the probate and family court, we come in there and said, we all have to have mutual respect for each other. We have different positions. We lay those positions out in front of a judge. At the end of the day, we leave there and we're civil. I want to bring that to the table. I hope that happens. And I can't believe I never brought you into WTBR back <laughs> in the day. I look at that. I don't think anybody really knows that much because I, I never promote. Like, I, I don't promote a lot of things about the kids' place, but I never promote promotes about about that. But yeah, yeah it, I I still love it, uh, and I still listen to it. <laughs> I still listen. To, I still listen to local radio. It's just something that I because that's that's the heartbeat of your community. You know, local radio means so much. How do you get to know anything without, you know, between, you know, eight and 10 o'clock in the morning, getting a little, little bit of information what's happening in your community. I, I, we have it on our office all the time, all different alternate stations so that we can listen to what's happening, you know? So um, I think it's important. It is. And, uh, but, uh, but there was something special about that little station in the bowels of Taconic High School. Oh, we started in the library. We're not the library. library. That's so right. you want to talk about doing weird. That's right. You know, we're the seventies. We're playing some rock and roll. We're in the library. <laughs> we used to do all my shows in those days. It's a, a long time ago. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, yeah. um, Tim, you know, I really appreciate uh, the time, um, how can people learn more about your campaign? And, and gosh, there's, you know, and there's so much. I mean, we probably covered, I don't know, a quarter of, of what yeah. we uh, could have, but I, I definitely want to respect your time. But, uh, you know, how can people learn more about your campaign? And uh, your uh, wife is uh, working uh, in that, this campaign. She uh, is, is a pivotal role in this as well. She does. She, she, she ran my campaign in 2004, as you might remember. Um, she's got a master's degree in this. She's run campaigns for mayors. Springfield and for uh, and in Chicopee for state reps. Um, and uh, we're very close because she works with me every day. She's run my business. She's run, you know, nearly a half a million dollar business per year. She's been running that for the last 20 years. 
So um, she, uh, and that's why we had this conversation about let's, let's, uh, she, she thought it was important that I do this. She said, this will make you really happy. I think this is going to make the community really happy. And she said, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a sacrifice for us. We're going to, you know, we're not going to be able to do the things that we normally would do when we had our, you know, a little bit more freedom because um, this needs a lot of work in the first few years to straighten this out. So how you can get in touch with us, we, we have a website, we just came up uh, yesterday afternoon, as a matter of fact, it's a, uh, it's a Timothy J. Shigrew for district attorney. And so you can just Google it and you find that. We also do have a, a Facebook page, which is attorney Timothy J. Shigrew for district attorney. Uh, and we have on that um, sign up sheets to do whatever you, you want to do. We have a big committee and we've got a lot of people working on it. And um, additionally to that, we have a Venmo account established on there up to $50. We also have the Act Blue account. You can do $10 up to $1,000. So uh, we, and we're already receiving substantial funds from that. Uh, we are going to have more fundraisers. We had our campaign kickoff last week and we had 319 people. It was a great showing. In fact, I think we would have had more if we had more parking. <laughs> we kind of <laughs> ran out of parking, um, but we also raised over $15,000. And, you know, I think we're I think our accounts are over will be by the time I make the deposits. It's very it's very cumbersome in the in the, the political finance campaign committee to, to identify every single one of these fifty dollar payments. Right. So once we get that set and done, well, I think we're going to have over forty thousand dollars. We hope to have you know, eighty thousand dollars by uh, yeah. a couple of months. So and it's important to get those numbers because when you uh, go into the campaign, you kind of back uh, fill from election day and right. and budget uh, from back there, and you know those postcards and all those things. Yeah, they cost <laughs> um, money. They cost money. They, they do cost money. And, and campaigns cost uh, a lot of money to get that message out. Fairly. And right now, you'll, you'll see people out. I have a lot of people out there collecting our signatures. Uh, we've got a lot of signatures already, but uh, we're going to. I like getting that message out by getting signatures because even if we get 2,000 instead of 1,000, I want that many so that people will know that we're out and we're about. And, you know, we've been busy on this already. I've, I've been to the Rotary Auction last week, spent a lot of money there. <laughs> but, you know, I, again, I, I go to these things, whether it was the campaign or not. And we didn't campaign that night, but we went and I just, you know, shook everybody's hands. And the response I'm getting is really incredibly, incredibly supportive. And I'm, I'm happy about that. And people seem to uh, embrace the idea of this type of a campaign. And I hope that uh, we all respect each other and, and we do a civil campaign. Yeah. You know? And uh, I've uh, interviewed a lot of candidates in the past, and you can tell the ones who are having fun and really love it. <laughs> and some that maybe aren't uh, it, having as much fun, but uh, clearly you're in the former. Um, <laughs> in that case, you know you can tell. So um, this is uh, this is fun for you, and you you have fun when you're doing something that you love. Absolutely. Uh, so um, I don't think that's a, a you know that, that, that's an objective statement because it's just uh, just what I see. So um, so Thanks. I think uh, I think you're going to have a fun campaign, and uh, and I absolutely wish you the best, Tim. Thank you, and it's been great, John. It's, it's been a long time, but it's been great. Great to see you again. You don't look any different, but yeah. <laughs> see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Crow Podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the Anchor 
anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash John hyphen Kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon.